first of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up, and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look. Bleep you. This is, this is our way. Yes, loud. Stevens is pretty smart and knows what he's doing. That 3 and D roll. Go, oh, it's a D-League. If I had uh, Antoine Walker's body, I'd be an all-star. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Banners Broadcast 20. We are 20 episodes in here on the official podcast of CelticsBlog.com, where right now you can go over and find out what in the world is wrong with the Celtics' defense right now. They've gone from about a 96 defensive rating on the season to 100 right there with the Golden State Warriors, their defending champs. The team that does everything right, whether it's take free agents away from their teams that they beat, or just hit a billion threes, or lose to the Celtics every year. They're good at a lot of different things out there in Golden State, and the Celtics have been good at a lot of things too this year. So good that they have the best record in the NBA, but that defense is slipping. People are getting concerned right now against the Utah Jazz on Friday, they slipped up big time, shot 65% in that first quarter, and then they went right down the tube through the second, all the way into the third and fourth, and lost that game to Donovan Mitchell. The rookie that's doing pretty good, not Jason Tatum good. You know, Jason Tatum's the scale by which we measure rookies. He's right there with them. Of course, there's going to be a contested debate between those two on NBA Twitter and everywhere else throughout the end of the year, but... I think we can all say Jason Tatum has the best haircut amongst all the rookies for sure and the best shooting percentage from three in the NBA, even though he's been missing a few of those lately. And it's just been such an amazing year for Jason Tatum. Defensively, I think we're all surprised at how great he's been there as well. Playing the three, playing a little bit of four, Brad Stevens' small ball roll, the three and D roll, my favorite, as you know from the opener. But they've had a mix in young guys too, like Semi Ojale or Shemi Ojale and Shane Larkin, a young guy who had to break into this league with the Knicks and Nets. Didn't really have the best time in New York City, so he came to the better of the two East Coast cities in Boston after a trip to Spain. I'm sure Spain helped him out a lot too. We're going to talk to Jared Weiss today about how that helped him out in his NBA career. But he's back. Brad Stevens is loving what he's bringing to the table. He talked about how he can change the pace of the game as it goes throughout. And the guy is well-versed on advanced analytics. If you didn't see it today, as I noted in the first half against the Grizzlies, the win on Saturday, he was a minus 13 in the first half. You had Tyreek Evans going at Terry Roger. Getting them caught in switches. Not the tallest guards ever, but in the fourth quarter, they went back to that Larkin lineup, the Rogier lineup, with Horford and Tatum mixed in. And as Larkin let me know, he went plus 13 in the second half and got himself back to a zero on the game, which is definitely better than minus 13. 
and earned him about 1,200 likes last time I looked. I also plastered my face on Celtics post game in the CNS, or uh, NBC Sports Boston as we call it now. And ended up putting me on the Celtics Reddit, where, you know, probably shouldn't have looked. Probably should not have looked at the subreddit of me and uh, the podcast here, the banners broadcast that people apparently do listen to, so thanks for that. And some people said, pretty good podcast. It's not bad, actually, is the exact quote, which is what I'm looking for. Not bad is better than bad. But some people did think it's bad. As you guys let me know, I do love the sound of my own voice. Maybe I'm overusing it a little bit over here. I definitely am in this monologue. But <laughs> uh, I, I have no problems with you guys bashing the show, bashing my performance at the top of it. It's going to sting me for a second. Definitely hit my heart when I read that uh, in the subreddit today. Not nearly as much as uh, reading this idiot and this uh, loser. That was my favorite one from all the comments coming back through Shane Larkin. So, you know, just going to deal with it. Going to shed a few tears and move on and bring you guys some more content. Thanks to everybody who's been listening to the show so far. The Banish broadcast has been really fun to do through 20 episodes. We've gotten to talk to... Some great personalities. In fact, we talked to Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart's chef yesterday. You want to know how Marcus Smart lost 20 pounds. If you didn't know, he lost 20 pounds over the summer. And how he's been able to maintain that sense. Don't ask about his shooting percentage. This guy has nothing to do with that. He's just worried about keeping down the LBs and keeping that six-pack on him and everything else. But... You can hear about Smart's Diet, Jalen Brown, his love of vegetables on the last episode. Today we're going to talk to Jared Weiss as well as our own Simon Pollock who edits our work over at Celtics Blog. Get his thoughts on what's been great about this season, not so great about this season, as well as a variety of other topics including who you're taking as a wrestling partner on this team. So let's get into it. Banners Broadcast 20. Here's my conversation with our good old friend, Jared Weiss. Here he is for episode number 20. Welcoming back to the Celtics blog. He's here for good again, Jared Weiss. Just kidding. So uh, how's, the, how's the wire doing, Jared? You looks like you're putting on your best face for Sunday for all the viewers. <clears throat> so this is how I dress every Sunday. I wake up, I throw on my pink hat, and I just get going with my life. Uh, Celtics Wire's been great. Um, got a piece right now on the Shane Larkin-led fourth quarter run where, you know, I, I saw somebody on Twitter saying that Shane Larkin probably shouldn't play in the second half. I can't remember who it was exactly, but it seems to work out, though. Yeah, it all balanced itself out. As you know, plus minus guru Shane Larkin let us know. Minus 13 first half, plus 13 second half, that's a zero. For all the uh, viewers, there's your basketball analytics for the day. It's a great place to start because uh, Shane Larkin did throw me on the burner without a burner account, fortunately. Oh, right. That's true. Yeah, I, I'm surprised KD wasn't tweeting you from his burner last night. <laughs> well, I had nothing bad to say about Durant. I did have a little bit of criticism for Larkin in that first half. And then, of course, as you wrote last night, led the second half effort with Al Horford and Jason Tatum in there in that lineup, you got to say. So let's talk about Shane Larkin because Brad Stevens has really been gushing over his performance this year. 
Lots of praise for Larkin. I think he's seventh on the team in plus minus. He's a plus 11 on the season. So he's become one of the uh, steadier ball handlers with that second unit. And the interesting thing I find about it is to start the year, they had Terry Roger on the ball quite a bit with that second unit. Him and Smart kind of alternating. And then, you know, Larkin had that back injury, took that tumble, hit the floor in one of the games, and then was out for a little bit. And now in the last week or two, we've seen him surge back into the steady everyday rotation. What is it about Larkin, you think, that gives Steven such faith in him to put him out there for big bench minutes? Well, I think the big thing is, one, Larkin relatively is a seasoned veteran on this team. And, you know, uh, we did this interesting interview a, a couple of games ago when he was in Boston where he talked about how much he had to kind of learn how to be an NBA player by losing his spot in the NBA and having to go to Europe. And he understood how to basically like, – he was playing on these teams, he said, where they were – they basically were telling him just go out and get us buckets. Um, and he kind of learned the difference between – being that kind of guy that he was so focused on being in the NBA and how unproductive that is and actually learning how to be a real role player in the NBA. So I think Stevens knows that Larkin knows exactly what to do when he gets in there. And Larkin, he is very small. I mean, he's probably five foot 10, I would guess, uh, maybe even a little shorter, but he is just, he's so unbelievably athletic and he's really tenacious and you know, I, I put in my piece in Celtic Squire yesterday, there are a couple defensive possessions there where he was going up against like Tyreek Evans, who has probably like half a foot on him and Evans to try to muscle him through. But Larkin is just so tenacious and he sticks with it that he was a real positive on defense last night. And that was one of the big reasons why they were 16, nothing run. There was him and Rogier were just putting so much ball pressure out there. Tatum as well, of course. Yeah. And the thing that irked me about Larkin against Memphis that really pushed that tweet out of me. Probably a tweet I shouldn't have sent out, but whatever. Stuff happens. <laughs> Him, Roger, smaller guards, and Tyreek Evans, those slashy Memphis wings, guards, whatever they are, no, no positions in the NBA today. We're just going right at them, switching them, facing them up, taking them to the basket, and in that second quarter, third quarter last night, we saw something that we've seen a lot from the Celtics over the last week and a half, two weeks, is they'll have these stretches where a team that was once a 96 defensive rating to start this year just seems to completely collapse on defense. I mean, now they're still number one in the NBA in defensive rating, right there with the Warriors around 100. So they've dropped off about four points over the course of two or three weeks now. They're about eighth in adjusted defensive rating now. They're down to eighth in rebounding percentage. So these dominant, dominant defensive stats that led the way through that win streak through the beginning of the season are starting to drop off a little bit. And I'm, I'm trying to find the source right now, Jared. I'm looking at personnel. I'm looking at effort. I'm looking at Kyrie Irving. And the schedule, of course, is something you've talked about as well right now. They are playing a ton of games, so I'm sure wear and tear has to do with it as well. If you had a point toward one thing, that you think has brought the defense down to earth over the last few weeks. What do you think it is? It's that last thing. I think, you know, the personnel hasn't really changed that much. Honestly. I mean, Marcus Morris was never really like a main part of that winning streak. He was like a nice little bonus that they added on. Um, but they, you know, they can survive without him. I think it's that, I mean, obviously Jalen has gone through what he's gone through with his friend dying. And actually that didn't seem to affect his game at all. He, played pretty incredibly really when that happens. But 
this is what happens when you have schedule attrition is your defense drops because defense is all about effort, you know, being early. It's about just constantly moving. You know, guys obviously are going to usually move harder on offense than they are on defense because the ball is in their hands. They feel more responsible for the play. Um, you know, and that that I think is what usually falls off when you have these really tough, especially going on the road and especially when they have back to backs. I mean, they had five games this week that they just finished off. The fact that they won any of them, I prob- probably would say is a good sign that they're not completely falling off the face of yeah. the earth. <laughs> you know, I said early when the winning streak started, I said they're going to look really good in November while the schedule is favorable. Even if they had some tough games like Oklahoma and Golden State, the pacing of the schedule was for the most part in their favor. They were playing at home a lot. I, but I'd said, look at late December. They're probably going to have a lot of more losses then because they have so many back-to-backs. They're going to have to start sitting guys out, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, the Chicago the Chicago loss, I think, was like that was the big, big problem. Not as much Utah where Gobert and Favors go down because, you know, I was talking to uh, guys like Tony Jones, who covers the Jazz. He was saying how they like to, with Utah, uh, they, so um, Quinn Snyder, their coach, was at Cheska Moscow before that, where he had this really good kind of Stevens-like concept of, you know, Stevens didn't invent the idea of a motion offense, but they had, you know, they had a five-out motion offense, and that's something that they can't really do in Utah because of Gobert and Favors. So mm-hmm. once those guys went down, obviously that hurts them a lot defensively, and those guys can dominate crushing the glass, but it allowed them to run the lineups that they really like to run with Jonas Jarebko and Joe Ingles. And that killed the Celtics. The Celtics got a taste of their own medicine there. So, you know, that wasn't as shocking of a loss to me as I think it was for most people, but the Chicago one, I mean, that was bad. And we knew that was like a trap game for them because Kyrie was sitting out second night, back to back, all that kind of stuff. They're on the road, but they were, they just didn't show up that night at all. That's the kind of stuff that your dog is clearly upset about and Brad Stevens is upset about too, <laughs> is that this team, they wanted to get past that where they have those nights that they don't show up because the teams that are really great, like Houston and probably Cleveland and obviously Golden State and San Antonio, those teams very pretty much don't have on their schedule any nights where like they score 80 points, you know, where they don't show up at all. And <clears throat> Boston needs to have that depth of core responsibility where if Kyrie is out or Horford's out, they can still at least show up. And they didn't do that a few times this week. And I think that's what really pissed Stevens off. And to see them falling flat in the second half, you know, they're, they were coming into this week, the second best third quarter team in the league to the golden state, you know, the really dominant teams that come out after halftime and they go apeshit and they destroy the other team in the third quarter. And that's what the Celtics have been doing. And they haven't been doing that as much this week. So, We'll see if that turns around once the schedule gets a little bit easier. I can't even remember what your original question was, but the point <laughs> being is that he experimented with this new lineup at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and that's what allowed them to turn it around in Memphis. You know, they went on that 16 nothing run. Stevens is trying to figure out in the late third quarter, early, early fourth quarter, when I'm going to the second unit, how can I stagger my key starters like Tatum and Horford and Kyrie yeah. to make sure we have offense out there while figuring out who are the guys that are going to go nuts on defense to really force turnovers to pick the pace up. And Rogier has really been that guy for them this year. And now Larkin is doing that for them. So we'll see if Larkin sticks around in the rotation. Stevens has had a track record of bringing guys in for a couple of weeks. And then once they're not really effective anymore, putting them back out. So we'll see what happens, but it's been, it's been working so far. 
Throwing darts, as he said. It's been interesting listening to Stevens these last few weeks because it is eating away at him. I mean, this team got the reputation as the try-hard team over the last few years. Now, it does seem like there seems to be an effort issue when it comes to the defensive side. And, of course, wear and tear does play into that. The schedule does play into that. And I do look at Larkin and some of the other guys on the bench as maybe him trying to push for that spark plug, try to get the energy level up. And it is good they're stealing some of these games away. They're not completely folding against bad competition, which is what you're looking for. I mean, even a night like the Memphis game, you pull it out. I mean, it didn't look great. The second and third quarters were not good, but a win's a win. And they do have at least a 500 pace going right now, not what you're looking for from a team that was by and far away the best uh, record in the league to start this year. But, uh, you know, personnel-wise... You don't seem to think Marcus Morris is as big of a deal being out of the lineup, but Brad Stevens did say that's a big reason they have have to stay in lineups right now is his absence. And uh, yeah, I guess they're going to be looking at getting him back around Christmas time. That's what I've heard. One thing that I think is hurting them more than most people are giving credit for right now is you lost your small ball four in Jay Crowder. That's a lineup Brad Stevens loves to put out there, and Marcus Morris was filling in as that small ball four at the start of the year. You have guys like Semi Ojale, Jason Tatum even, who are probably capable of playing that position. But I feel like you really haven't seen anyone step up and claim that spot this year, even with Morris in there. How big of a factor do you think that is to some of the lineup instability right now? Yeah, I mean, you're making a lot of good points. Morris, and to be clear with Christmas, Morris wants to be back by Christmas so he could beat his brother up on national TV. <laughs> but that that's coming from him, and he's been he is very ambitious with everything that he says. So you know, he said he's going to be the starter. He said he's going to be totally fine. You know, he's 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 a very cocky dude. So I wouldn't take it as fact, but more his optimism. But you know, mm-hmm. it, it would fit within the schedule, the timeline they've been putting out there for him to be ready to go by Christmas. So we'll see if it happens. I don't want to say that more is worthless or anything like that that's not the point i'm trying to convey yeah i know it's i know it's not what you're saying but i think that they could survive without him is what i was saying because i think they exhibited that early in the season was they showed that the system that they're running it does work without marcus morris he isn't required for them to pull it off this team is is like a nice case study in what the value of a veteran is so I think Morris, for the most part, shows up most nights, although he is kind of a unique veteran. He's got a very much a street ball style to him, yeah. Um, which for better and for worse, uh, but it does allow him to basically, you know, scorch the earth on occasion and hit some insane shots. But he he's pretty consistent. And that's what I like about him is he's consistently present. He may not be hitting his shots a lot of nights. He may make some mistakes on defense, but you feel him every single time he's out there. And you can't necessarily say that for some of the other younger guys. That was something that you had with Crowder for the most part. You know, Crowder had an up and down defensive year, and obviously he was a streaky shooter, but he shot so well he was still shooting over 40%. But Crowder you knew was out there pretty much every single game. His defensive communication was always good. You know, and that that's one of the things that he really brought to the table that made him such a valuable player. And that's what they need out of Morris. And they need that because, you know, Jason Tatum is hitting, he's coming up against a rookie wall right now where he's going to have some bad games. And, you know, in Memphis, he was phenomenal and he really, you know, it's, it balances out, obviously. Mm-hmm. But to help guys like Tatum get through the rookie wall, which Tatum, I think, is a strong candidate for going through the rookie wall. I don't think yeah. he's going to have that problem. But, you know, this is, this schedule right now, this is a good example of 
you know, handling a workload that he probably hasn't had to really deal with in the past because of the sp- the pacing of college and high school schedules. While mm-hmm. right now in the NBA, it's pretty insane. So like he's got to get used to that. Jalen is getting used to that. You know, these young guys are getting used to that. But having a guy like Morris, it's been around forever, especially a, a guy that's really physical like him. Having his presence out there on those nights where the team just doesn't have it, that's where he really can be valuable to them. Because there's going to be those games, and we've had a few of them. I think it was in Brooklyn a few weeks ago where the team doesn't have it that night, and he just has to. It, he's the guy that like puts them on their back. He's like a. He's kind of like a junior star. You know, the star is the guy that like when the team doesn't have it, he puts them on their back. He isn't nearly a you know star caliber player, but. He is capable of doing that, and that is really valuable. And you know, there's been so much so much talk about like the Celtics should target someone like Lou Williams so that they have that guy off the bench that can be that offensive spark plug and just get those shots when they need them to. I think Marcus Morris can actually do that pretty well, and he's probably one of the best bucket getters on the team. This is supposed to be quotes, but I forgot to move my fingers. Yeah. So <laughs> he, uh, I think that's where they really need him, and I bet that some of these games where they looked like garbage. He would have, he could have come in there and get them 15 points in a quarter or something like that and be able to get them through because, you know, you're a team surviving the year overall. Having that good system is what you need to be a good team. But you also have to have those guys you can bring in off the bench or have that fifth guy in your starting lineup that when your system just isn't working in the third quarter, he can just go out there and score four times in a row. And that's how you end up going from being like a 47 win team to like a 57 win team. So on Morris, some of the other guys, we talked in the preseason about how big of an emphasis health, the rest, the analytics of player management and just keeping guys healthy as a whole was going to be a big deal this year. And it's interesting to see how it's played out. Morris had a nagging knee injury coming in. It felt like they were just closely monitoring it for a while, giving him spot night off, nights off. Uh, at the beginning of the season, he did miss a bunch of games in a row to try to get the knee healthy, and then they went into that period of having him on and off, and now they're in that period of just having him not play again. Uh, they've given Irving a night off in the last week against the Bulls. They've given Horford a night off in the last week, which I think were... Long overdue. I mean, Horford just gets used like crazy when you consider what he does on both ends of the floor for this team. So he was definitely due for a night off. Had a few uh, below-average games by his standards going into that. What do you think of the management of the players overall when it comes to rest, when it comes to minutes and health so far this season, given that you do have a guy with a nagging injury in Morris that doesn't seem to go away at this point? And they're using Irving and Horford quite a bit to start this year through 33 games, and they've only each gotten a night off, uh, one night off each to this point. Yeah, well, I don't think their usage has been insane, actually, so I'm not worried about that necessarily. And I think they're just finally getting to the part of the schedule where they have to start giving guys night off, nights mm-hmm. off. So I'm not that surprised by it. You know, also comparing this to last year, don't forget the NBA has their rule in place for not giving guys nights off on big matchups. So, yeah, I don't think that's really had to come into play so uh, so far this year. Uh, but that that could mean you're going to see a little bit less rest than usual. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just getting back that depth with Morris, I think really like having Morris out there allows them to rest Horford more. There's no question about that. So that that's something that they really miss. Um you know, I, I don't. I haven't seen any anomalies in the minutes workload so far. I think it's been mm-hmm. 
pretty consistent from last year. You know, the starters are playing 30 to 33 minutes. I haven't checked Kyrie's minutes in a while, but I think he's somewhere around 33 to 34. I think he had 30 so, last night, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's been, it's been pretty much normal. It's, yeah, that's how they usually manage it. All right, there's Jared Weiss. Hopefully, uh, speaking of Christmas, maybe you can get me one of those for Christmas this year. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. Good to talk to you as always, and uh, we're missing you around here, buddy. Keep up the good work. Thanks, man. We'll see you soon. All right, let's take a break from the show to make you guys some money real quick. It's basketball season. You got action every single night now, whether it's Kristaps Porzingis and the Knicks or Kyrie Irving in the Celtics. Every single night you get stars across this league, pouring in the points, grabbing the boards, dishing the rock, and you could be leaning on every single stat that gets put on the board. Just like I've been over the last month with the DraftKings, the daily fantasy football, fantasy basketball masters, because this is weekly fantasy, if you're talking football, weekly daily basketball games. Basketball season's back, and now your favorite hardwood heroes have returned to action. They're in full swing by now. 30-plus games in, but if you missed your chance to set up a full-season league, which sucks anyways, you know, you, you lose guys, stuff doesn't go your way, and all of a sudden you're in last place by December and you don't care anymore, well, that's not a problem with DraftKings. Every day, you have a chance to win huge cash prizes with the fantasy knowledge you're already putting to the test for free. You might as well get some money on the line to spice things up. At DraftKings, there's so many ways to play. You can choose from public contests and win huge cash prizes or private contests where you just battle with your friends as you usually like to. There's no bad way to play fantasy over at DraftKings. I've been doing it. It's just so much fun. And you can go in and out on a night-to-night basis. And we're giving you a chance to try it if you've never tried it before. Uh, the best part is that you get to draft a new team each day. If you didn't already know that about fantasy. And drafting is arguably the best part of fantasy. And the better thing is winning cash doing it. And that's what DraftKings allows you to do. Huge cash prizes and bragging rights await only at DraftKings.com. So use our code CLNS. You know CLNS Media. CLNS is your code at DraftKings.com to play free with your first deposit for your share of $10,000 in total prizes. Tonight, you can do it tonight, so do not wait. Use code CLNS at DraftKings.com now to choose your lineup, and you can seriously win cash tonight. That's CLNS. Only at DraftKings.com, the game inside the game. Minimum of $5 required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Just go over there. You got nothing to lose. Welcome back. Episode 20 of the Banners Broadcast. Remember, you can find the Banners Broadcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media app, which has everything from Celtics Beat to Sixers Beat to uh, Bob Ryan's podcast. So all of that's over there. With us today is one of our editors over at Celtics Blog, the guy who uh, keeps us from effing up. Simon Pollock is with us today. What's up, Simon? Hey, Bobby. I do my best, you know. <laughs> yeah, if you, had to, can. if you had to give the staff one big piece of advice, something we're not doing so well, what would you say? 
oh, it's got to be passive active voice, right? That's super, super nerdy grammar. So we're going to dive right into editing talk and get everybody on the edge of their seats. Yeah. <laughs> keep, keep it simple. Keep it active when you're ready. Absolutely. That's what we strive for. So Simon's with us today. He wrote a nice piece um, a couple weeks back about Jalen Brown bouncing back from uh, the death of his best friend, which was, you know, that that was tough, Simon. I'm just really starting to realize the extent of that now. I was on YouTube just, you know, you get stuck in the YouTube hole of just watching video after video after video. And I saw this one-on-one match at the Celtics uh, practice facility. It was Jalen Brown and well, it looked like a friend of his. They were going back and forth. Of course, Jalen was just completely clowning on him, and you know they just seemed so tight. And then I go down to the comments section, and I'm like, "Oh crap! This is this was the guy who passed away." And that was just like two weeks prior to that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was something that really hit home with me too. You know, I've experienced loss in the last calendar year, and. Um, I I can't imagine really showing up and having to perform at the level that Jalen had to had to perform. I mean, that was a career night for him. It was against the Warriors, and he came out and and put up such a line and just and kept the team in the game. And I just I don't know where he I don't know where he got all that energy from. You know, he in post game interviews he was talking about how he was connecting with the family and they were telling him to go out and play his damnedest and. It, it's so um, incredible to me when people are able to do that sort of thing. You know, we hear about it all the time, but there it was happening in front of us. So uh, I was excited to get to write the piece about it, and it really it hit home with me. Yeah, and it, it's interesting. It really didn't pick up a ton of momentum. It, it was definitely talked about for a few days or so, and you know, the media did their due diligence with it. We didn't really find out a lot of the you know um, distinct details on it, which is fine. You know, it's private stuff, family stuff. And it, it's, I, yeah, he's played great since. He's having an amazing second year. His jump has been miraculous. He's really established himself as a starter on this team. And we have talked about him at length, the things he has to improve on, what he has uh, done better this year. If you had to look at one thing that you think he has really jumped on from last year to this year that has allowed him to jump you know, eight points per game, a great shooting efficiency overall, and even defensively, he has those moments too where he's looking real good. What do you think's been the most important factor in that? You know, I, I'm I'm someone I guess who subscribes to to eye test stuff, body language stuff, and uh, like other great Boston sports people, right? Something that Jalen has in spades is confidence, and. I, I like seeing him get into the interior of the defense and trying to make plays at the rim so much more. I mean, last year we knew he could jump through the roof, mm-hmm. um, and he's still doing that. Um, but to see him active and take a role, and of course with the Hayward injury, like he has to take extra minutes, and he's got to play with Tatum, and he's got to be able to score. It looks like he's just doing that fearlessly to me. And so, what do you say? What do you say to a player like that? What did Steven say to to Brown, or like what did Brown just assume was his responsibility coming into this year after the Hayward injury and and how did he activate that it just looks at looks like he's playing out there with so much confidence and I don't know where that came from and it, that's that's to me what I what I'm seeing as, as a big leap I think he was always capable and he looks pretty comfortable in his own skin but he's getting after out there he's working really 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 hard the role is definitely different that's for sure he's just a cog in that starting lineup he's getting the big minutes every night he's getting the big assignments too uh, Keith Smith talked about it with us over at the site that 
You know, now that Kyrie's kind of taken that dip defensively from where he started early this year, they're giving Brown bigger assignments. They're putting him on the opposing point guards, which has its ups and downs. The defense, as I talked about with Jared in the opener, hasn't been as great lately. But I love the fact that this year it seems like Stevens is pushing Brown. Last year it seemed like when he made big mistakes, when he had brutal turnovers, he'd pull him back, sit him on the bench, watch and learn. This year, it seems like he's sending him into the fire more and more, and they need him, which is true, of course. They lost Avery Bradley. They lost Gordon Hayward early on the season. But even when he does have those turnovers, when he has those lapses where the ball handling isn't so great, which I've hit on hard, Stevens keeps pushing him through that, and I guess that's really been the goal of this year so far is the development of those young players and trusting them to go through the ups and downs of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it... Even though we've the, the, we've seen the team take a bit of a dip, right? Like, doesn't it still feel like we're playing with house money here? If you're the Celtics, you know, you're you're working your butt off and you're trying to stay at the top of the Eastern Conference. But but really, it, the fact that this young team and this totally new team is is able to continue to come in and 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 hold hold their spot for now i guess i'm i maybe i'm a little worried about what's going to happen in the doldrums of the season heading into january and february but that this is just an opportunity to just keep sending out these young guys and seeing what they can do and telling them like hey here are the keys take them let's see let's let's go somewhere and and so far they've really turned it around it's been amazing and it is cool they've gotten this opportunity right we've talked about the last few years Guys in veteran positions have been shadowing out the young players. You had Evan Turner over Marcus Smart. You had Jay Crowder last year over Jalen Brown. There's no one in the way this year, and I think the people who always wanted to see the young players get their shot right away are really being vindicated because these are great young talents who are able to perform at the highest level right away, and that's what you get when you get those top five picks. Thanks, Brooklyn. Uh, Jalen Brown... Jason Tatum, those guys are ready to go. It felt like from day one, both of them were ready to go. Probably Tatum more so than Brown. But Brown just physically is ready to go for sure. And they've both been a big part of this surge to start this year. It was going to hinge on both of them being able to fill in the three and four roles on this roster. Uh, Third and fourth in scoring, that is. And they've done it so well to this point. There's so much poise with those guys. Uh, There's so much professionalism between the two of them. It both seems like they're just so obsessive about hoops, which is cool. You don't always get that. There's usually a lot of other stuff with the big stars coming out of college, as we see with Alonzo Ball. And it's been great. I just love how ball-focused both of those guys are. And I think it's translating to just such focused, concerted play night in and night out. And it shows in how both of them seem to improve night in and night out. I mean, Tatum... He's doing stuff on a night-to-night basis, making advances on a night-to-night basis. It seems like some guys don't make in the first year of their career. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're hitting on it, right? Maybe when we're talking about improvements for, for Jalen Brown, we can talk about what Jason Tatum already does. Uh, Tatum, it seemed like he needed maybe a game or two uh, just just to get out there and to, like blink away the lights. And then all of a sudden, instead of sort of shying away from contact when he was getting, getting to the rim, he was just taking it on. And now we're seeing him coming in, you know, game after game, able to get to the rim and he's 
flipping it up. Uh, he's he's got a finger roll that he's been leaning on that's actually been falling uh, quite a bit, and he, he's not he's he's taking the contact. He's ready to go, and that's something that even Jalen Brown, you know, when he has an open look, he'll throw it down. But he still, <laughs> with that bigger body, he still he still takes the hits and, and shies away from from putting the ball right at the rim. Sometimes I, I love that about Tatum. I love that you know maybe maybe he's uh, leading the league right now with that. I think he's the leading the league right now with his three point percentage, but he's, he's also able to just up fake and get right to the rim. It's, it's awesome to watch. It's so cool. So I think we're all in consensus about what our least favorite thing about this season is. There's really no debate there. Um, that doesn't even need to be said, but we've had a pretty good season to this point. It's funny when they went on that 16 game win streak, it almost feels like the expectations that came with that are kind of weighing down the fact that, it is house money, like you said, this season as a whole. Any improvements you get out of the young players, any run you can make in the playoff at all is just going to be gravy, as they say. And, you know, my buddy Snotty dripping over at Twitter has really stressed that, too, the fact that they don't have a lot to lose this season. You know, you could go back and forth on that. But what do you think, after, of course, Hayward going down, has been your favorite part about this season so far? Favorite part about this season so far, I think, is just been the slow realization of NBA fans and NBA media that as impressive as Kyrie's numbers are, and and people have been on this already, right? They've been screenshotting Kyrie's basketball reference stats and saying like, hey, he's he's doing the same stuff this year that he was doing last year. It hasn't changed a whole lot. Is people, the people are slowly starting to pick up that Al Al Horford is as good as advertised, if not not better, right? Like when we got Horford, of course, everybody was really excited. Oh, we get, you know, Boston finally signs a, a huge free agent. They they get that monkey off their back. And but how good is Horford really? Is he really worth max money? And absolutely, he stuffs the stat sheet. And he's doing you know you talk about Marcus Smart doing all kinds of things that don't show up. Horford doesn't too. Uh, and on top of that, he's he he often leads the team in assists. He is at the head of the actions that he's running with Kyrie, that two man game is something else. And I love it. He seems like a huge emotional leader for everybody. When he's out on the floor, it just makes everybody go three, four five X faster. It's awesome. I'm going to go a little more micro on this and just focus on one point. I think the fact that we have two centers this year who are both high caliber impact centers defensively and on the boards is just so cool over the last few years, that we just got so worn down by the offensive rebounds and the attacks on the basket and how small the lineups were that they were playing that, you know, we just came to see that as reality. Like, this is how the NBA is now. This is how the Celtics are going to run things. Like, we're just going to have to deal with the fact that we're a smaller team and that we're going to have to deal with opposing teams rebounding against us. And then... Danny uses the mid-level exception to get Aaron Baines, who we all knew had a lot of potential coming off the bench in Detroit. Their splits were really good with him on the court last year. And then you bring this in this unknown, Daniel Tice, who showed out in the preseason and showed that he could kind of be that energy Chris Anderson type in a center role off the bench. And all of a sudden, for a team that just didn't really have an impact center the last few years, you have two this year. And when you look at the team coming into its own defensively as a system... Uh, trying to communicate to younger guys the importance of defense. Like those two guys and the help they provide up the middle and the energy and the blocks and the rebounding help. 
they've been really important to the growth of this team, I think, and just giving them stability inside, giving Horford the ability to play his favorite position. That Those are two moves that I don't think any of us thought they really had to make over the summer, but they did, and I think it's helped the team immensely in their defensive runs they've had. That 16-game win streak was powered by defense, I felt like. And then even now as they faltered a little bit, those guys just give them a little bit of stability inside. And it's just such a change of pace from what we've watched over the last four years now. I, I mean, I love that you made, made that point. And I was super high on Tice coming into the season. Uh, I loved what I saw in preseason from him. And I was also really excited about that as a fan of this team for over two decades now, close to three at this point. It's like, it's very refreshing to sit down and watch a game and, you know, hopefully go to a game at some point later this year and, and know that we're going to be able to get boards. And, and this actually is a bit of a callback to what we talked about a little bit earlier, you know, when Brown has to rotate onto whoever Irving's not being able to handle in the middle of a game, we lose his power at the boards. And we, we definitely have Baines and, and Tice doing work down there, but, also having Tatum and Brown available helping off of the forwards that they were guarding was also helping us on the defensive boards. Uh, and we lose a little bit of that. Now I think you and Keith were talking about that earlier uh, as we're getting into the defense and just talking about that as a staff. Um, I, I love it when, when we can get those rebounds and that that's killed me to watch the, the, as fun as the Isaiah Thomas powered teams were, that was that was just a thing that I like. <laughs> I almost I couldn't sleep at night during basketball season. Time, sometimes it's like it's just every time somebody hoisted a three, we we're just going to turn around and run the other way. Didn't matter if it went in or not. It's fun to compare those teams, and it's hard to compare them and see what's better and what's worse and where this is ultimately going to end up. Uh, I think just contractually, the team's in a much better place than they were back then. There was just so much uncertainty with all the contracts coming up with that group of how that was going to be able to go into the future. Now they seem to be in a little better place money-wise. You know, It's tough to sign a guy to a max deal for four years and then see him go down game one. That really puts a lot of shade to doubt on the contract right away. But hopefully Hayward's going to be able to get back, and this will be a very stable big three group going forward we've talked so much what ifs with hayward going into this year and you know what if this he was here for this or what if he was there for the defense and small ball four and all of that just think of the lineup and how far brown and tatum go that irving brown tatum hayward horford lineup next year is going to be wild it's going to be completely wild. They have a little bit of everything on there. You have shooting. You have ball handling. Great defensive versatility across the board. And with Hayward, there's been a lot of conversation about him, the possibility that he'll return this season. We haven't hit on that hard around here yet. I'm a big no on it. I just don't want to risk that contractually any setbacks that could go into the next year of course he's not going to come back until he's 100 percent ready to go and i'm not sure if that's going to be this year anyway but there is a lot of hunger for him to get back reasonable because we just haven't seen any of our biggest free agent signing ever yet we just saw six minutes of him to start the season and that was it and of course it's probably not the smartest idea to have him push back but do you think it's a reasonable idea to have. I can't get through this without thinking about uh, Paul George coming back. And it just, like, when Paul George came back from his injury, it was cool. But I think 
the NBA, the players, the organizations, the media, we knew that it wasn't much. It was just a trial run. Um, and I think it would be fun to see Hayward come back and it would be nice for the fan base. Um, but given how much the team spent on him and how valuable he is at a hundred percent. And when you start looking around the league at some of the superstars who can't stay on the court, think about Rudy Gobert, think about Chris Paul, his injuries, think about Kawhi, uh, and how long he was, he was off the court. I mean, why risk it? Right. I said earlier in the podcast, we were playing with house money, uh, this season. And I, I stick by that. I think that, the more time that Brown and Tatum and the rest of the new players have winning games and operating at the top of the Eastern conference, the better. Uh, and as hard as it's probably going to be for Hayward to get to maybe 85, 90% sooner than anybody expected. I I'd, I'd love to see him just stay healthy and, and take it easy and get as strong as possible uh, over the course of the off season, keep working behind the scenes with the team, the way he has been and, and come back ready to go next season. I do like that trial run idea, though, and that's something I've tossed around in my head a little bit, too, is maybe he does get healthy around that April range right there where you have about five, six games left. Maybe run him through those, get those games in the garden in where he'll have his epic return, and then shut it down for the play. I know it would be awkward to have him come back and then be gone for the playoffs, but yeah, it's better than nothing. I think people really want to see him this year. I think it'd be great for him to get his legs back under him in the last week or two in, heading into the playoffs, so it's kind of a low for everyone anyway. I just think it'd be, it'd be a lot to have the expectations of Hayward being back in there combined with playoff expectations around that time period. It'd just be a lot of weight, a lot of pressure, a lot of noise that I don't think needs to be had when a guy's just coming back from an injury of that caliber. And then the, you just hope that he's able to get back to the point he was before. I don't think people talk about that enough, the fact that this guy was just reaching superstar status. Even if he does get back to, you know, all-star status, borderline all-star status, that's that's still going to be a hit from where he was before. And I'm just still at the point where I'm saying, hopefully he's able to get back to that level he was playing at in his last year in Utah. Yeah, I mean, there's no guarantee, right? Everybody has their... Their line that they spit out when they go through these recovery periods about how they're trying to come back stronger than ever. But of course, you know, for every person that we can think about making miraculous recoveries, think about Steph Curry and his ankles. Um, you can also think about somebody like Rondo, somebody who's closer to Celtics fans' heart, or maybe, maybe no longer, right? Yeah. But, uh, you know, when Rondo took his knee injury, he was never the same player. And you think about when his injury happened in the trajectory of his career and where the league was going when that injury happened, he was on the cusp of figuring out, okay, I need to become a scoring guard. I can't just be the past first guy that I've been, you know, that helped that team get a ring in 2008. He was going to have to start figuring out how to take more contact, how to get stronger, how to finish. And he was going to have to figure out how to shoot threes and, um, you know, all sorts of stuff happened to, to taint Rondo's career um, and sort of make the last four or five years unsavory for fans of his uh, previously. But that's an injury that I think about when it's like you, you lose, you lose a step, you lose more than a step. And it also stops you from adapting to where the league is headed. My least favorite thing about Ronda to this day is the, I, I just think it's the dumb line that last year, 
if Rondo doesn't go down, the Celtics lose that series. I don't know where people get that from. It's, it just really irks me when people say it, and it's a line you hear people across the NBA sphere repeat again and again and again. It drives me crazy because he had one good game. He had one really good game in Game 2, and the Celtics made an adjustment. They put the wings... Roger Green in positions to rebound and help out that issue. Like there was so much other stuff happening in that series behind Rondo. I, I don't know. That's just a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm right there with you. It, it, he's not the player that he used to be. And honestly, if anybody's looking for a comparison, they can just watch any Ricky Rubio game right now and and see that. Like, sure, he's going to go out and have a night. Ricky Rubio had a huge night uh, late this past week. Uh, and he looked real good, and he shot some of his some of his best um, offense. Sorry, he, he played miss. some of his best offense. Yeah, it was insane, right? But that doesn't happen. And the reason everybody realized it was so good is because he's he's not a good offensive player, and he can get all the way to the rim, and everyone's oh, Rubio's so good, he's got to finish that. The reason he can get there is because people know he can't shoot. So. What are you going to do? <laughs> All right, before we get out of here, there was a funny thing on the Jumbotron a while back. The Celtics were asking, who would you take in a wrestling match? Who would be your wrestling partner on the team? Back in the day, it was easy. It was Brandon Bass. Everybody across the board picked Brandon Bass. I think he'd be the bench king on the team for me, too. If you had a bench off, I'd definitely go with Brandon Bass. we got to update that now at this point. we got to find a new wrestling partner on this team. And I'm going with Aaron Baines all the way. The grittiness he has, the big Australian muscles on him. Tommy Heinsohn told us early in the season he's well put together as a body. So we know that for sure. <laughs> who, who's your, your? Me and Baines are going in the battle. You got to pick someone else, Simon. Who you bring him? Well, I if you take Baines, and you know, I think he's the obvious choice for somebody to tag team with. Um, so I'm going to have to start as an underdog, in which case I will take uh, my man uh, Gershon Yabasele, the French Draymond. There we go. Uh, I, he's he's so athletic, and uh, he's still getting his sea legs underneath him on the court, but uh, I think he'd do pretty well in the ring. Hey, the main was on uh, ESPNU yesterday. Always a fun watch. Gershon Yabusele is showing out right there, and he's getting his moments in the NBA too. He's he's becoming so much fun. The fans love him. Kyrie loves him. Every time he goes into the game, you just see everyone go crazy. I actually hope he's going to advance past the point where he's just a fun guy to go in at the end of the game and actually become a viable impact guy on the team one day because he is just so much fun in his personality and just his makeup as a player. Everything about him so much fun. Totally. And, hey, you know, we're talking about Hayward coming back. You know who loses minutes if Gordon gets on the court? Yavaselli. Yeah. Oh, well. Everyone's got to cut their losses somewhere. That's Simon Pollock. Had a good time with him here today on the Banners broadcast. Uh, You can check out the Jalen Brown piece we mentioned in the beginning of this section over at CelticsVlog.com where he edits everything. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Bobby. It's a pleasure. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden, other than the fact that it's a 1,000 years old? Let's take a look. 
First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look.